everyone. This is Dr. Michael Wall. Thank you so much for joining me today. I think you're going to really like the topic and I've entitled it Food Mistakes. Well, you know, all of you have been listening to this or other radio shows and gathering information and education, ultimately, or I should say to include the best dietary choices possible. And I don't have to tell you, it can be very confusing because whether it's a radio show or a magazine or you go to a healthcare provider and ask for food information or dietary information, there seems to be a lot of contradictory concepts, contradictory thoughts about how and what and why we should eat a certain way. Now, for those of you joining us for the first time, this is a show that teaches you how to be your own personal blood detective. And the term blood detective doesn't mean only understanding your blood chemistries, because we'll always talk about blood chemistries, particularly in this show. But I want you to be able to think about things critically rather than merely accepting information. So for example, I have patients that see me on a weekly basis that have certain, let's call them misunderstandings. I was just answering an email just now where a young woman was telling me Uh, Dr. Wald, why did you put me on iron? I read that iron can be bad and can cause cancer and heart disease. So that's a pretty reasonable concern. But what she did was she read something about iron and she extrapolated that information to her unique situation. So I let her know that there are are several reasons why a young woman her age would be uh, be given an iron recommendation by me. And that is that she is currently menstruating and her laboratory work shows that her hemoglobin and her red blood cell count are both normal. So that means she is not getting enough iron from food. Now she also is a vegetarian and vegetarians tend to be iron anemic. Yes, a person who's a vegetarian can manage their iron properly, but it's, it's difficult. So common anemias or common deficiencies one might see in a vegetarian diet would include iron anemia, protein anemia, and vitamin B12 anemia. That's just namely the top three that I generally see and that are accepted in the the medical and nutrition literature. Here's another example of a food mistake that I hear. Oh, well, let me complete that thought. A vegetarian diet can be high in plant-based substances or foods that have iron, but The iron that's contained in, let's say, spinach and other plant-based forms or sources of iron is known as non-heme iron. There's non-heme iron in plants, and there's heme iron in animal products. Heme iron in animal products is far more absorbable than non-heme iron in plants. So a person who's a vegetarian can eat plenty of non-heme iron and still be chronically iron anemic and suffer from the consequences like pallor and fatigue and brain fog, and the list goes on and on. I am not at all saying, I'll repeat that again, I am not at all saying 
that a person cannot do a vegetarian diet correctly. I'm a vegan myself, and it's even more difficult unless you know something about the diet and the use of nutritional supplements to avoid nutritional deficiencies and also insufficiencies, meaning you have enough of certain nutrients, but they're not optimal. See, blood detectives distinguish between normal and optimal. Just like we distinguish between a healthy diet and what we might malabsorb or not absorb from the diet. So this other example has to do with a, a, a woman with cancer who's carefully recording her food intake. And although it's very difficult for her to eat with her nausea and lack of appetite, she is forcing herself to eat. And on paper, her protein intake seems quite adequate, except she is wasting. She is suffering from a condition known as cachexia, which is basically sarcopenia. So sarcopenia is lean body mass wasting. A healthy diet, the right diet, should manage one's protein intake and also their healthy fat and healthy carbohydrate intake relative to a person's lean body mass and the ratio of the lean body mass to uh, the percentage of water and fat in the body. For example, a bodybuilder is going to have a certain amount of grams of protein per kilogram of his or her body weight to not just maintain the lean muscle, but to generate more muscle. And this is the same with this cancer patient. She is wasting away even though she is eating enough. She's not eating enough on paper to match her hyper overly zealous metabolic rate. It's too high. It's literally eating her up. So what am I going to do with this lady? Well, I don't want to make the first food mistake, which is the following. Assuming that you absorb what you eat. And the other food mistake is assuming that your body activates and utilizes properly what you absorb from what you eat. And there are tests. Remember, this is the Ask the Blood Detective show that can tell us about absorption and malabsorption rates. And a thorough blood investigation and urinary investigation and dietary log and a body comp. Those are the most fundamental tests and, and procedures and questionnaires that help me figure out exactly what a person's needs are. And a person's needs are changing. So that brings us to yet another food mistake. And that mistake is the malassumption that what is healthy for you today is healthy for you in a week or a month or a year or 10 years from now. Now look, on a superficial common sense level, I'm sure that everyone out there without exception, absolutely every one of you, will agree that as a person ages, their nutritional needs change. For example, as you age and you waste away, your need for protein increases, but your body malabsorbs. So that's why, that's one of the reasons why people age so badly. They just don't have the building blocks to maintain their current physiology and the current structure and physical structure. And so they break down. And that is the aging process. Uh, it's a bit more complicated than that, but 
when you think about it, when you eat properly, whatever that is, let's, just, let's say we, we know what eating properly is for now. In my book, eating properly is not just maintaining your current level of health and or reaching a level of health that you've always wanted, but a proper diet is a diet that it change as your needs change over the course of time that allow certain assessment tests to put you in the optimal ranges so that you age as well as you can. It is true that people are living longer now than ever before, but they live longer with disabilities, multiple disabilities at once. And in medicine, the fancy term for that is comorbid conditions. The individual not only has severe arthritis and can't walk too well and has, has bad mentation and their physical power is less and they're not sleeping, but they also have dementia, for example, or heart disease or hypertension, multiple conditions all at once. Those are comorbid conditions. They all result from something fundamental, an inability of the body to maintain itself in the face of degenerative changes. Foods and nutritional supplements can help offset degeneration, delay it. So our next food mistake is that one might assume that there is a healthy diet for everyone. And that, of course, would be true or false, everyone. There's a healthy diet for everyone. Of course, it's false. Even if that diet looks like a vegan diet or some food plan, like a vegetarian food plan that's, that has all the GMOs removed and all the gluten removed and no trans fats and saturated fats and uh, is low in animal products, is high in fruits and vegetables, it all sounds good. But a lot of individuals who eat that way, they get diseases and cancer and heart disease and autoimmune disease and diabetes as well. Each individual needs what they need over the course of time. And that's where our Blood detective, holistic common sense comes in, changing things over time. Because once again, that food mistake of assuming that your healthy diet today is a healthy diet tomorrow. As I've just reinforced, it is not true. Another food mistake is that foods contain all of the nutrition a person needs for their daily health and nutrition intake. That's a food error or concept that you hear mostly from uh, medical physicians. At least in, in my experience, patients will visit with me and they'll say, Dr. Wald, I don't understand why you're saying I need to eat this way or that way or even take supplements when my doctor says I can get everything I need from a balanced diet. So then I politely ask, okay, I can understand that, that uh, confusion. So what did your doctor say a balanced diet was? And then that patient would usually say to me, uh, they didn't say. They didn't say because they don't know. And if you push them, they probably would fall back on the concept of the standard American diet, food pyramid concepts that are perpetuated by the American Dietary Association. We know that that diet falls short in terms of disease prevention and occurrence when you compare it, for example, to the Mediterranean diet. And especially when you compare the SAD diet, the standard American diet, SAD, the SAD diet, to a vegan diet. If I were to choose one way of eating for everyone, 
if I was forced to do that, I would choose a vegan diet. But that still doesn't mean it's the best. That's sort of like saying, if I had to choose one exercise for everyone, it would be biking or swimming. But if your goals were to build muscle, then those activities won't do it. If your goals are to run fast marathons, then you're better off running than biking and swimming. Although there's something to be said about cross-training, but if you want to get good at any one activity, you need to do that activity. So my point here is that your diet, my diet, everyone's diet needs to have some aspect of adjustments over the course of time. I'll give you another example. I had a patient in a few weeks ago who said to me, Dr. Wald, I have been listening to a certain health personality on the show for over 30 years. I eat vegetarian to vegan all the time, somewhere in between those two. I have always been healthy, never a problem. I'm on no medications. I've never been on any medications. And then one day, I have some discomfort in my, my lower intestinal tract. And I go to see the doctor. They do some tests and tell me that I have metastatic uterine cancer. She says to me, Dr. Wald, how could that have happened? I took supplements. I ate ex- exactly like this personality, this uh, nutrition health personality told me to. And how did this happen? I even went back to that personality. And I said to that personality, how could this happen? And they said to me, you need chemotherapy. And I said, wait a minute, but you said on your shows that you don't believe in chemotherapy. And it's been several months since I've been to the doctor and they said my cancer is getting worse. And I told them I didn't want chemotherapy. She came to me in extreme pain. How she was tolerating it, I don't know. She was sitting in front of my desk with her head on my desk. She was in so much pain she could barely lift her head. What I believe happened here was that as I look back on her health records is that she had some so-called stomach issues way back but refused to take a look at them thinking that everything natural that she was doing would make it go away. And she believed that nutrition would would cure everything. So that's the food mistake error here, that diet will cure any disease or prevent any disease. It's not true. Diet absolutely has a major impact, relatively speaking, in different people to reduce one's risk of disease and even to help halt or reverse or stop certain diseases in their tracks. Sometimes though, one would need to combine whatever the standard of care in medicine is, along with nutrition for the best health outcome. Some of you out there are saying, there's no way I would ever do chemo or I don't need drugs. I'm not saying you should have those. I'm just letting you know that in my 28 years of experience, most of the time, I would say a combination of therapies Medicine and nutrition tend to work better, particularly in the cancer area, but it does depend on the cancer area and the stage of the cancer and other factors. 
So another so-called food mistake would be to be closed-minded to other possibilities that could literally save your life. When someone comes to me and they say, Dr. Wald, I will never do cancer care. I will never do radiation. I don't want surgery. I'm not doing chemo. I want nutrition only. I always, always honor their wishes. And I let them know how I might feel about their choices so they have full information to make an informed choice. And if their informed choice was made, then I support it. Another food mistake is that foods contain all the nutrition you eat, like I was just saying before, and you do not need to take nutritional supplements. I wanted to finish that concept. Of course, there is lots of controversy on this question, but there there are controversies on all questions. And I'm certainly not saying that my word is the last word, far from it. But I do think that my word here is very thought out and it's been challenged by hundreds and hundreds of practitioners of all different types that I have lectured to during my lectures over the last 25 years or so across the country and out of the United States. So I've been able to pose these sorts of questions and discuss them in a professional setting. And I am convinced that what I bring to the table is among the most reasonable, thought out opinions on areas of healthcare. And when it comes to the use of nutritional supplements, for me, the answer is yes. One must still take nutritional supplements and one can never rely, almost never, on foods to maintain their health or to reach a level of health that they are missing. You know, some people have said to me, Dr. Wald, um, you know, if the Almighty wanted us to take nutritional supplements in the form of pills and capsules, they'd be growing off trees. Well, I get it. And I would politely say, well, you know, the Almighty also produced everything on this planet and the planet and everything else, which includes anything that we make. So what is not natural about supplements if they're made from the Almighty's creation? That's about as religious as I'm ever going to get on this show. All I can tell you from a practical point of view, that there are studies and there is experience that I certainly have and other practitioners like me, that when people take higher doses of vitamin C and um, green tea and resveratrol and boswellia and curcumin with biopterine, black pepper fruit, for example, or magnesium, they can get health improvements that they cannot get by simply eating the foods. Why? Well, number one, if you wanted to reach an anti-cancer dose of, let's say, vitamin C in your blood, you could never do that by eating. You can have all those oranges in front of you or vitamin C-rich foods, but by the time you reach in the multi-gram range, the thousands of milligram range of vitamin C in your blood, you'd probably choke on your food. And you couldn't keep it up, but you could take a few pills. If you wanted to reduce the spasm in the muscle in your eye, which is twitching, or muscles in your legs, or your coronary arteries that are contracting, you might need a gram or so of magnesium, magnesium malate, magnesium citrate. And to try to get that by eating foods is, number one, it's unreliable. Remember, you're not what you eat. You're what you absorb from what you eat. And furthermore, 
you are what you activate from your, what you eat. If you pull magnesium out of food in your digestive tract, your body has to activate that magnesium. So it might attach an aspartate group to it. And that will allow it to work well in the cells. If you want carnitine in your diet to move omega-3 fats into your cells to produce energy by pushing it through the membrane of a part of your cell, an organelle called the mitochondria, your body's going to have to take that carnitine and it's going to have to acetylate it. Acetylation is a way of transforming the L-carnitine to a form that can move fatty acids from outside of a mitochondria to inside to produce energy in the cell, which you need for healing, awareness of energy, metabolic processes. You got to have it. My point here is that nutritional supplements are not a panacea, but neither is diet and eating. So why not take supplementation in addition to your diet to improve your health? I've had people see me with years of effort eating extremely well. And what tends to happen is they have health problems that are not going away. For example, I had one person a few years back, I'm thinking of with multiple sclerosis, who was deteriorating rapidly. And she, when I had her walk down the hall, she was just veering off to the right side of the room as if you were pushing her because her nervous system was so damaged. And she read about salmon and tuna and mackerel, the high omega-3 foods online, and she started to eat more of these foods. And we noticed that she, she started getting worse and worse. So when I reviewed her food log, I noticed this trend, and I asked her about it. She says, yes, I heard about the omega-3s. I said, I think maybe you're becoming mercury toxic and possibly arsenic toxic from the omega-3 intake. And that might be further damaging and promoting inflammation in your nervous system. Of course, she was very concerned about that, and we did check her levels of all the heavy metals and toxins such as arsenic. It's not a metal. And yes, she was off the charts. We used a combination of blood testing, plasma, red blood cell membranes, which tells us what's in the cell uh, the organ. And we also looked at the urine. So if these metals and toxins were hiding out in places, we had the three major compartments, the urine, the blood, and the cell membrane of the organ. And then we made sure that all three were zero, zero, zero over the course of a few months until I was convinced she was done. And she just got better and better and better. And we chelated her, which is a term for removing these toxins and metals. And by the way, folks, she didn't have to waste thousands of dollars on intravenous chelation. People almost never need that. They do need it at sometimes, but there are very good oral chelators that work in individuals, even who that malabsorb. Because you know when you malabsorb, you don't absorb normally. That's usually associated with some derangements in the small intestinal lining where the absorptive cells are in the body. And that will also go along with a leaky kind of a gut. We've all heard of leaky gut syndrome. But these chelators, they need to get in the blood. So they leak right out. The leaky gut itself helps the body in this case. I did write an article, you can find it on my website at intmedny.com. That's intmedny.com, where I wrote all of the, the, the good things about leaky gut. The body almost never 
does something that doesn't help it uh, accommodate or, or manage itself. And leaky gut does have some positive outcomes as well, meaning that it helps you get certain things into the blood faster that otherwise may not have made it into the blood because of the leaky gut. And that, in turn, may help the leaky gut heal itself, you see. So I always wonder when I'm with my patients, why is their body showing me these particular combination of symptoms? Then I compare that to the questionnaire of all the body in the blood detective longevity questionnaire that I have my patients fill out. And then I, discuss, I, I think about what tests might I need that gives me information to figure things out. For those of you just joining us, my name is Dr. Michael Wald. Welcome. You're listening to Ask the Blood Detective, and we're talking about food mistakes here. You can reach me with questions about the show or other shows or show topics at 914-552-1442. And I want to also mention to everyone out there today that in October, I'll be having an open house in my new office, which is in Katona, New York, which is in Westchester, which is located an hour north of New York City. I have a practice currently in Mount Kisco, New York. And again, you can reach me there at 914-552-1442. I give in-person consults, of course, and also uh, over the phone. But I would love to invite everyone to this fantastic open house. We're going to give exercise demonstrations because we do physical training and exercise with people in this office as well as infrared sauna and hyperbaric oxygen. We'll talk about, you'll see all the testing that we do. And uh, we do rehab and exercise in the pool. And we do cooking classes in the beautiful kitchen. So this new office is meant to transform your life. And I would just love to have all of you come. For more information on that or to be notified about that, please email me at this email, info at blooddetective.com. That's B-L-O-O-D-D-E-T-E-C-T-I-V-E, blooddetective.com. So let's continue this discussion on food mistakes. This one you're going to love. Just because you seem to feel better does not mean that your diet, the way that you're eating, is actually healthy for you. I had a patient that came to see me for the first time I'll never forget it because she, uh, was, she just glowed. She looked fantastic. She was a beautiful lady. She was about 42, 43, as I recall. And she could have been a model. And we're talking, and I hadn't yet looked into her paperwork because she refused to hand it to the front desk. She wanted to bring it back herself. Usually, I look at all the paperwork before anyone comes back, so I know who I'm talking to. But, she, but I let it go this time. And I looked down on the paper and she had metastatic breast cancer that was metastasized in multiple organs. And she was told that she has very little time to live. As I was reviewing her health history, she had a very lengthy, one of the most lengthy diet logs I'd ever seen. I, I think it was like 40 pages. It was remarkable. But because of what was going on with her, I looked down at that paperwork and I looked at it for a good long time. I don't think I said anything to her for about 10 full minutes. In 10 minutes, I could, I could read 150 pages. 
And my point is, her diet was so clean that I don't think I could have invented a cleaner food plan. It was entirely vegan, including juicing, and the whole, whole bit with the supplementation. And as I questioned her, she mentioned that she had been doing all of her supplementation research on her own. And when I looked at her supplement list for her health problem, it really was not that bad. I mean, usually I see, I would say 90% of the supplement list that I see have some, a lot of healthy components, but they're way off balance. They're a mishmash of different brands. Some are good, some are okay, some are not so good, some might be pretty decent. And then the doses are, are just nowhere, even in the ballpark of what people need. And that was the case with her. She had errors all over the place in those areas and others. She had never even had any, any laboratory work or any thorough uh, exploration by any practitioner into, for example, her body composition or how some method to figure out what she needed, even when she had cancer, because I wasn't the only practitioner she visited. So this was fallacy, a fallacy or a food mistake, meaning that on paper it was perfect. How could it have not manage her health problem? How could it have not managed her immune system and, and her inflammation and sped up her white blood cells so that she wouldn't get cancer, let alone metastatic cancer in multiple organs, lung, liver, pancreas, spleen? You should all know we did some dramatic improvements in her nutrition and she uh, ended up uh, living uh, two years or so longer much longer than anyone expected. But my point though is we had to play catch up. And so it is, it is wrong to assume that if you feel better, the diet's right because there's one more detail. She didn't have any symptoms. She had no pain, nothing. She did undoubtedly towards the end, but for years of all of this happening to her, because you know cancer doesn't happen overnight. It happens over the course of several months to several years. No pain at all. The other, another I should say food mistake that some people make is that how you eat does not affect the supplements you take. Nutritional supplements have many beneficial effects. Some of them are more absorbed with foods. For example, if you take extra vitamin D, vitamin E, lipoic acid, omega-3 fatty acids, coenzyme Q10, vitamin K, those are fat-soluble nutrients. They're much better absorbed when you eat them with, let's say, an avocado, um, fish that is mercury-free, um, olive oil, some type of fat. Healthy fat is more preferable, coconut oil. And there are many drugs that are interfered with by many foods. The most common example, we could do a whole show on just this one topic of food-drug interactions. So a common food mistake people will make is that they will drink grapefruit juice or eat grapefruits when they're on several medications, one or more. Many medications, many, 
possibly even you know, five out of 10 drugs are interfered with with grapefruit juice or grapefruit consumption. There is a chemical in grapefruit known as neuringenin. That's neuringenin, say that three times fast. <laughs> and neuringenin will interfere with the metabolism of the medication, which could severely affect a person's you know, reason for taking their medication. The drug-neutral interactions are so great. Like I said, we, could, we can talk about it for months. So we don't want to make a, the common food mistake. If you're taking supplements, you want to know what foods help you improve the utilization and absorption of your supplements. And you also want to know what foods interfere with your medications. And there are even some foods that interfere with the absorption of some supplements. Maybe we'll do that show at a later date. I want to say a, a few words about food mistakes, well, what I consider food mistakes, in terms of a vegetarian diet. I fundamentally, fundamentally believe that foreign proteins, which we consume from dairy products or animal meat, any animal products are inherently adverse to our physiology, particularly when they're cooked. Now, some of you out there are saying, wait a second, we know about the paleo diet and there's our ancestors and, and they ate animal products. Well, the world was a very different place then. First of all, some of our ancestors ate animal products and some of our ancestors may not have eaten animal products depends on where they lived on this planet and how they were isolated and so many factors, which really makes this whole paleo concept, as far as I'm concerned, a big joke, a big scam. I'm not saying that there aren't some healthy concepts within the paleo concept, but its whole basis is just wrong. And evolutionary doctors and scientists and anthropologists, they're, they're laughing their heads off at this whole paleo concept. One of them even said to me, I never met a paleo that drank whey protein. And they're right. If you have, now, let me back up. So what I'm saying here is that there is the potential that animal products would adversely hurt you. But not every one of you. So for example, if you have a weak immune system, let me restate that. An immune system that's hyperactive. That means one that's more predisposed to autoimmune problems. Too much immunity. Multiple sclerosis, diabetes type 1, diabetes type 2, lupus, Sjogren's syndrome, uh, thyroiditis in the form of Hashimoto's or Graves' disease. There's a zillion autoimmune conditions. If you eat a farm protein, you could potentially trigger the immune system to hyperreact again creating a cascade of inflammatory autoimmune events within the body. And that would not be good. So a food mistake would be to, now listen carefully, to assume that just because a diet, in this case an animal-based diet, might be bad for lots of people, 
it doesn't mean that there are not people out there that can tolerate it, or as I gave this example with the autoimmune, or that there may be lots of people who do not tolerate it, particularly those who are more susceptible to not tolerating an animal-based diet, and those would be people with autoimmune types of disease. So you can see how it can go either way. You know, when we study the, the diet that was around predominantly, let's say, at the turn of the century, we notice from that point to now that we have a much greater consumption of refined and processed sugars. You all know this. Refined carbohydrates, cooked meat, meats that have been obtained from animals that are fed pounds of antibiotics and various steroids like growth hormone and other sorts of anabolic molecules that are sick and stressed and have all those stress chemicals and we eat them and we wonder why we're stressed and we wonder why we have disease. We inherit, inherit a lot of what we eat from these, these poor animals. We also know the diets now, compared to that at the turn of the century, are higher in saturated fat, higher in trans fats. They're lower in fiber today. And those basic changes alone seem to have added to our disease incidence today and the ridiculously wide range of various diseases that we see. Let me move on and reiterate another food mistake. And this is important because I see this a lot. I speak with individuals who on some level recognize that they need, a hel- they need help with maybe managing their supplements or their foods or exercise or lifestyle in some way, shape or form. But then they're resistant to the changes I suggest because they say, I feel good. I feel good, they say. You know, and based on some of the examples I've given so far on the show, a person can feel fine until they don't. And, and in fact, that's usually how it happens. I myself considered myself a very healthy individual. And as a teenager, very athletic and extremely health-minded because my dad was a doctor of chiropractic and a nutritionist. He was on the radio, he was very well known. I was fascinated with what he did. I would carry his books around, like rip them up, the chapters, stick them in my back pocket. I always had something with me, fascinated with just reading about health all the time and, and practicing it. And then I was affected with multiple sclerosis. So, what, you know, there are no hard and fast rules in the universe that guarantee us anything. But I can tell you, as many people do that are afflicted with, with health problems, that get any clue about what's possible in terms of uh, recovery, I, I read everything I could about multiple sclerosis. And uh, I became an expert in it because I recognized that the quality of my life depended on it. And now, I'm 52 years old, I don't have any signs or symptoms of MS. Testing is fine, so I'm not just relying on how I feel, because I felt great when I was a teenager, then all of a sudden, after a race, I would race a lot, 
I got symptoms and I couldn't see well. I had this inflammatory optic neuritis condition, flare up, and I had issues with coordinating my upper and my lower extremities. So the point again is you can feel fine until you're not. A more common example is that of a stroke. A person may not be aware they have hypertension and they may get a stroke. Just all of a sudden they're talking, the next minute they're, you know, their face is drooping and or they're passed out from a stroke because they had a cerebral infarction or a bleeding in their brain. And we don't need hypertension to have strokes. Strokes can be caused by any number of things. Heart attacks can be caused by any number of things. In fact, most people that get heart attacks, meaning 60, uh, less than, the stat is actually that less than 40% of individuals who have heart attacks even have high cholesterol. Their cholesterol is normal. You know, think about this cholesterol business. If you, stick a, uh, if you stick a needle when you're getting blood into the vein, you want to pull out the blood and measure cholesterol and some other things, right? That implies that cholesterol's floating around so that it can be pulled out, correct? Right. But maybe when you do that, your cholesterol falls nicely within the normal range. We'll call it 185. It's a good number. But that cholesterol, more of it could be stuck on the artery wall and that doesn't come out when you're poking the vein into the lumen of the vein. See what I'm saying? When I usually draw the picture of the vein out and show how cholesterol numbers can be completely skewed, a person can have severe cardiovascular disease and their cholesterol could be fine. You know, I spoke with a patient earlier today and she said to me, Dr. Wald, I read that it's oxidized cholesterol that's bad for you, not just the cholesterol. I said, well, that's, that's true. There's, a, there's truth in that, absolutely. And then she says, but I ate all of the antioxidant foods that would help prevent the oxidation of my cholesterol, but I still had a heart attack, a silent heart attack. And she says, how can that be? I said, well, your idea was right except you didn't eat enough of the antioxidants and perhaps you needed nutritional supplements to have prevented that. And of course, there may have been other things she needed to do, but on its most basic level, remember, what's on paper doesn't mean that's what you get into the body and that that doesn't mean it gets to the part of the body you needed to get to. So a little bit of testing is really important to make sure you're doing everything right. How about the raw food? diet mistake. Well, the raw food diet mistake really states that, well, the way I would put it is that raw foods are absolutely healthy. We want to have salads. We want to have raw root vegetables, for example, but raw foods can also tax and stress our enzyme, our digestive enzyme systems. Am I saying that Eating a raw food diet is always bad. I would never say always. I never say that for anything. Except I have seen people, seen patients over the years. I've been doing this for 28 years. And I remember the raw foodists because it just fascinates me. Just the ability to do that, the willpower it takes. And many of these people are in my office because they have diseases. And a lot of them, I believe, have to do with 
the fact that when you eat all raw foods, your pancreas and your stomach acids and juices are working overtime to break down these raw foods. Some of you raw foodists are saying, but wait a minute, raw foods have enzymes in them. Yes, but who says they have enough enzymes to digest themselves? They don't, they don't. Um, so that's why it's always a combination of the body digesting raw foods and then the enzymes within the raw foods. If you eat only raw foods, the potential exists, the potential for exhausting your own enzyme systems. When I provide exogenous enzymes to some of my patients, that means enzymes that I give them in the form of pharmaceutical grade enzymes. Uh, I use a product that I put together called Detox Absorb Enzyme Complex, which you can find on blooddetective.com. And it has the pancreatic enzymes, the proteases, the lipases, and the amylases, the protein, starch, and fat-digesting enzymes, along with the bile acids, which are very important to break down the fats to even smaller particles called chylomicrons. And I also included a certain amount of stomach acid because in my experience, when a person has health issues of any type, we always talk about the liver being the most important organ, but the gut, there's no such thing as most important organ. The most important organ might be what, what we might focus on more or less for an individual if we know that organ is weak. But these organs, you know, we call them organ systems. You know, there's a cardiovascular system, the hepatic system, the gastrointestinal system, the nervous system, the lymphatic system, the endocrine system. But none of these, these systems are not separate. Because they're taught that way in categorical terms in medical schools, they are misinterpreted as being separate, which is, so the thinking of the average medical person, regardless of their intelligence and, 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 and commitment to, to helping people, their thinking is just wrong. You want to treat a person, I say, consistent with the reality of what's before you. If we think of the body as a whole, we don't, we're not fooled into thinking that organ systems are really separate systems so that we separate out the education in schools and then we separate out different types of doctors that exclusively deal with those areas that know very little about the other areas, let alone will these doctors necessarily communicate with each other as they should. So we lose the holistic truth of it all. And that's why one of the reasons I believe uh, we have so much confusion and so much uh, lack of effect and increased uh, disease prevalence and side effects and iatrogenic illnesses, which are diseases caused by the practice of medicine, because we're not seeing things the way that they are. Now, back to the raw food mistake. A person should have some cooked foods and some raw foods, in my opinion, more or less, depending on what our goals are. If someone is extremely sick and, and feeble and weak and let's say has cancer, I'm not sure I'm going to put them on all raw foods because they already lack enzymes. Their body is dying. If we force their enzyme systems to work, that could, that could possibly make them sicker. So aspects of a raw food diet 
and aspects of whatever that person needs for their needs. I say that a lot. A person needs what they need for their needs. And I say that during my professional seminars and still doctors during the break will come up to me and say, so Dr. Walt, what's your protocol for cardiovascular disease? What's your protocol for detoxification? What's your protocol for hormonal balancing? And I say, politely, well, the, the point of the last five hours discussion that we had <laughs> is that we have to figure out what a person needs for their needs. And the protocols that I talked about are merely guidelines. See, a lot of people don't realize when you look up things online, first of all, a lot of it is just wrong. You've heard that before, but it really is true. I'm just seeing things wrong all over the place. Is that we need to figure out what each person needs. It's a little more work, but that's what it takes. And if someone cannot eat a certain way, if that way of eating is too difficult, then nutritional supplements can be used uh, in a smart way to balance out the, the situation for that person. You know, I do have people that see me that say, Dr. Wald, I, I don't want to be a vegan. I don't want to be a vegetarian even. I eat pretty good, so um, you know, give me advice in other areas. So we talk about lifestyle, exercise, stress reduction, all that, and the use of nutritional supplements because they are, may not be the first choice, but they are the next best choice for an individual who knows that they need to um, improve. Now, I, I like to exercise. I love to exercise. I swim. I lift weights. I run. And some of that is, uh, takes a I don't know, pretty exacting toll on the body. So I'm not going to just think that my raw juice is going to have all the enzymes I need to reduce inflammation and maybe any joint discomfort I have or muscle inflammation. So I might have to take my detox absorb enzymes to help, particularly on the level that uh, matches my exercise. And then... If I have MS, possibly in my nervous system, I'm always going to have enough digestive enzymes above and beyond those for inflammation of my joints for reduction of inflammation in my central nervous system, in the white matter of the nervous system. And then, because I want longevity, I might want to adjust those enzymes yet again because we know that all human aging is inflammatory, all human aging is autoimmune, the body breaks down. It doesn't look like its normal self. The immune system say, hey, says, hey, you are foreign. I'm going to break you down through an inflammatory oxidative process. But if you take a certain amount of enzymes, you reduce the inflammatory process. If you have the right and, and types of protein balance and healthy fat balance and healthy carbohydrate balance, you will heal very, very well relative to the aging process. Now, ultimately, we're all going to die of something. We age every day, but we don't all age the same. I honestly do. I can only use myself as an example here. I pride myself on being not just healthy, but being extremely fit, being able to do practically anything that I want. If there's a rope I want to climb, I can climb it. I just went to Alaska, did some ice climbing on a glacier. Did that for two and a half hours. It was not a problem. It was a challenging, of course, 
But I did it. It was, you know, there were people doing this much younger. It didn't matter. When I run marathons, I run far faster than lots of people far younger. And there's people that run faster than I do. My point here is simply this. I am interested in all of you, not just living longer, because statistically, people are living longer. But as I said at the beginning of the show, we're living longer with more degenerative disease, with more comorbid conditions. I want you to live longer. This is important. I want you to live longer in the non-disability stage of life. The non-disability stage of life is stretching out that period of time that you are the most flexible and most mobile and active as you can be. You know, sadly, with strokes, we have people surviving more of their strokes than ever before. Sounds great, right? It's not. It's not because these people tend to suffer multiple strokes, but because of medical advancements, these people are surviving with disabilities that are horrific. They are ending up It is so sad. They're ending up in nursing homes, if they're lucky, bedridden, and their lives are lost. Their mental functionings are taken away to various extents. Their ability to live in the world is gone. Sometimes it's better to not survive something. On the other hand, I understand and I respect someone that says, no, 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 I want my family member, I want to be kept alive as long as possible. That's a personal choice and that's just fine. I'm merely giving this example to point out that we do not simply want to live longer. We want to live better. If you can imagine in your mind climbing up a mountain, And it's easy for you. You're climbing up. You're getting to new heights of health because you're eating the correct way you're supposed to eat. You're checking your labs. You're doing your questionnaires. You're functional. And you're getting up there. Now, some people die by just falling off the other side and falling face down. But when you build up a sort of health reserve, when you do nutrition and living right and with a little luck, When the time comes for you to leave this planet, those individuals tend to have a much milder ride down the other side of the mountain. So they decline over a long period of time rather than so quickly and so badly. I should also say another and probably the last food mistake we'll talk about right now is Doing whatever it is that you're doing with food, doing it, let's assume it's right, it's perfect, you figured it out, it is the right thing to do, you know it. And every doctor agrees with it, I agree with it even. But you begin it too late. If you do the right thing too late, it's too late. I mention this to you because, again, I see people that come to me at such late stages of disease and disability, and health problems. And they say to me, inevitably, Dr. Wald, how long do you think it's going to take me to feel better? And these people have clogged arteries, and they have these chronic intestinal problems, and whatever the problems are, they're just adding up and up and up. 
Some people do remarkably respond very quickly to a combination of things. Maybe we improve the diet and we do hyperbaric therapy. Maybe we do hyperbaric therapy along with topical nutrition so that the hyperbaric pressure can push those nutrients deep into the skin and deep into the organs. And the person does great. But often, a person will overestimate the health improvements that they can make in a day or a week. And they underestimate the health improvements that might take a month, a few months, even a few years. So in closing, it's important to realize the following. We want to avoid food mistakes. How do you do that? You avoid food mistakes by finding out what you really need. Maybe you need certain aspects of a vegetarian diet or a vegan diet. But maybe you also need a bit of glycemic concepts to be worked within that food plan. And maybe because of your unique health issues or health goals that we might have to also discuss food combining principles within what I just mentioned. In other words, folks, None of these food plans, whether it's food combining or low glycemic diet or paleo diet or vegan or vegetarian or whatever it is, these are not separate. You know, there's no rule that says you can't mix and match. Um, In fact, that's what the creative aspect of health building is. That's what the blood detective way of health building is. You need what you need for your need. That you need. (laughs) Let me say it again. You need what you need for your needs. I want to thank you all so much for listening to Food Mistakes today. That topic, I think, was a good one. A lot of you wanted it. You're listening to Ask the Blood Detective. My name is Dr. Michael Wald. At my next show, you'll find out when exactly the grand opening is to my new clinic. So please email me at info at blooddetective.com if you'd like to come. It's free. I would love to meet you. It's in November, so you want to put it on your calendar as soon as possible. And the date I'll have at the next show, or I'll email it to you. We're going to decide on that later today. My name is Dr. Michael Wald. I'm happy to work with you personally, either at a distance or in person. You can call me at 914-552-1442. That's 914-552-1442. You can listen to all the radio shows under my blog, or you can watch my videos all on my website. Look at the top search bar at intmedny.com. Thanks, and have a wonderful day. Show you.